So in the in the uh, malfunctioning transporter case, uh, there's this new a new body's created, and whatever we say about the soul, we could do the same thing with the vision case. Who cares? The soul takes one. The other one gets a new soul. Does it have um, our, our our memories encoded in the brain such that it would just it would the new soul would think it's the old soul? Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Sedicase, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today's episode is another special one. I have with me Dr. Kenny Boyce. Uh, I've been looking forward to the, having him on for a while and didn't really even know the topic, what, what I want. I just want to talk with this guy. But uh, he has been a gadfly on my Facebook uh, for a while talking about AI and substance dualism. And I'm really excited. Like he's, he's changed my mind through Facebook. So it is possible. Um, <clears throat> so I'm really excited to, to talk about artificial intelligence, artificial general intelligence, substance dualism, uh, arguments against AI and all sorts of stuff. So uh, stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, you'll, you'll be an expert in AI after this. Maybe. <clears throat> but before I jump in, I want to thank everyone who's making this podcast happen over on Patreon. If you find value from this podcast, if it's one of your favorites, please consider becoming a Patreon patron. You can support this podcast for as low as $3 a month and as high as $100 a month. Um, so if you do get some value from that, please consider uh, joining the team. I would love to do this full time and uh, I need support from viewers like you. Uh, also, if you look down here, there's a super thanks button. So maybe you want to give above and beyond Patreon or you just want to give a one-time gift. You can click that and it'll bring you through. Uh, so that's another way you can support the podcast. All right. Well, um, I might have Theophilus popping in. He's been doing it lately. Um, try to keep him off my cords. So there might be a guest appearance, but maybe not. Without further ado, though, let's bring in Dr. Kenny Boyce. Uh, he's an associate professor of philosophy at Mizzou or Missouri, depending on what uh, context you're in. Uh, and he's the man. So let's get going. Dr. Boyce, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's good to be here. Yeah, um, I wanted to start off uh, asking you, how did you get into philosophy? And, and, and why did you want to become a professional philosopher? Okay, how did I get into philosophy? Well, as I look back on it, ever since I was a little kid, I was asking philosophical questions. I remember instances where I was a little kid and I was thinking about determinism and not really understanding it under that label, but I was thinking of it as like a seven, eight year old kid. Wow. Um, uh, but I thought, you know, I thought when I got older that I wanted to do physics. Um, and in part, it was because I was interested in these deep fundamental questions. So when I went to do my undergrad, I was, I actually started as a physics major and I did hmm get a physics degree in my undergrad, but I picked up a philosophy and religion double major because that's the program they had there. Mm -hmm. um, I picked that up because I started to realize as I was doing a lot of the physics that the questions that I was most interested in were actually being asked by philosophers. Yeah. And so I became more interested in philosophy. I didn't plan to be a professional philosopher, though. I went on to seminary. I thought I would do maybe become a pastor, maybe do academic theology. Hmm. But while in seminary, a lot of things happened. But I started reading more analytic philosophy just on my own. Yeah. Realized that I had a special kind of draw towards analytic philosophy and kind of veered off in that direction. Ended up doing graduate school in philosophy. 
What what uh, what seminary was that? That was Fuller Theological Seminary. Okay. In Pasadena, cool. California. For sure. Yeah. Man, I had a I had a similar experience in seminary at TED's, uh, and just being like, I want to do analytic yeah. philosophy, and it's the old me would have like cringed at that, but now I just <laughs> love it. I can't stop doing it. So then, um, <clears throat> you moved on, and uh, you did your PhD at Notre Dame, right? Yeah, so there was a step between. So I actually got a master's degree in philosophy at Mizzou. And then I went on and did a PhD at Notre Dame and then got hired back at Mizzou. Oh, awesome. Okay. That's fantastic. So that's what I'm doing, partially. Yeah, I finished up at at, uh, TED's and now I'm at PBA working on philosophy religion. And Lord willing, uh, we'll see. I'd love to go to Notre Dame, but we'll see. Um, I... I love, like, I always love hearing about who people worked with. And I think I've heard this before from you, but can you tell the audience who did you do your dissertation with? Yeah. So my dissertation director was Michael Ray. And on my committee was uh, Alvin Planiga, Peter Van Inwagen, Jeff Speaks, and Megan Sullivan. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just legendary. That's so awesome. And if I'm, if I remember correctly, weren't weren't they all like realists, and you were a nominalist defending nominalism? Yes, that's right. They were all Platonists of some stripe or another, yeah. and I was defending nominalism. So they all disagreed with me, but that made it more fun. That's so awesome. That's so epic. I love that. And like, not just that they were all against you, but they were all like legendary philosophers as well. It's so fantastic, and done like yeah, unique work in that area. Um, and so that's so cool. Um, I also I recommend to listeners uh, to go check out Majesty of Reasons episode uh, with Dr. Boyce because they, they talk about nominalism and much of uh, I believe much of what what you worked on in your dissertation as well. So um, that that's another one. Maybe I'll put a link in the description here. But today I want to talk about uh, strong AI and in uh, the mind because we've been going uh, I've, I've been seen on Facebook all the time. You've commented on some of my posts and you really helped me change my mind on well, originally I thought, um, look, I don't think the simulation hypothesis is possible because I think that's committed to functionalism and the strong view of AI that artificial intelligence can be conscience, conscious. And I don't think that's true. So therefore, we can't be a, in a computer simulation. And I'll put out polls and stuff like that. And you'd be like, well, I don't see like in principle why why you need functionalism for that. So, um, yeah, why? what's been sparking you to, to think about this lately, I guess? Well... Yeah, so I should tell your listeners that uh, I'm a metaphysician by trade, and so I'm steering a little bit outside of my lane talking about philosophy of mind. I hope that's okay. Uh, I still like metaphysics. Yeah, that's like a yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, and sometimes people who aren't directly involved in a field might see things from a different angle that other people don't see. Um, 
but I, I, I guess I find I, I enjoy science fiction. I'll put it this way. Yeah. And I find stories about AIs to be interesting. <clears throat> and there's also been some buzz in the news lately about whether AIs that we have now are anywhere close to conscious. And a little bit more research suggests to me that that's not the case, that they're not anywhere close to that. But still, the general question of whether you could have conscious machines is an interesting one to me. Yeah. I have also, like you, thought a bit about the simulation hypothesis and whether that requires rejecting substance dualism hmm. um, for various reasons, some of which we'll explore here. I actually think, unfortunately, perhaps for us substance dualists, that it's actually a little bit more plausible given substance dualism. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, that, that's fantastic. So um, uh, I got into philosophy of mind uh, because of like uh, Searle's Chinese Room argument. And so, like, I had this idea of strong AI and weak AI, and weak AI is, is what we have now on Searle's terms, um, which is just, like, you know, algorithms and such, but there's nothing that it's like to be them. And then strong AI, I think, is, like, yeah, there's something that it's like to be that. In the context of the Chinese room, it's about understanding. Um, so a strong AI has understanding in the way that we do, or analogously. And then when I go into, like, computer science uh talk when i talk with people who are in computer science they talk about agi artificial general intelligence mm -hmm. i just wanted to see if you had any thoughts on like is, is strong ai and agi are those synonymous are those picking out the same things any any thoughts on that yeah i have some thoughts so as i've looked at the literature i've seen different definitions of quote-unquote strong ai okay. and they don't strike me as philosophically equivalent so mm -hmm. some people characterize strong AI as the thesis that just implementing the right sorts of computational processes is sufficient for the presence of consciousness. That's how they, that's how they characterize strong AI. Mm -hmm. But others characterize it as the view that computers could have what you called generalized intelligence, which is roughly the ability to perform any sort of cognitive task that a human could and to ad yeah. adapt a novel cognitive situations in the way that humans can. Um, others have defined it as the view that machines could be conscious and they have in mind phenomenal consciousness there. There's something it's like to be them. These yeah. definitions strike me as all conceptually distinct. So there's lots of talk in philosophy, for example, about philosophical zombies in the philosophy of mind. Maybe, maybe there could be beings that are like, like intrinsic duplicates of us, but they lack phenomenal consciousness. That yeah. uh, is at least conceptually possible. There's a debate about whether it's metaphysically possible. But, um, you know, suppose you had a philosophical zombie, then it might have psychological states uh, that are in some sense about other things. Uh, it might have something like generalized intelligence, but it wouldn't be phenomenally conscious. Uh, and so perhaps there could be a, an AI that's very similar to a philosophical zombie in those regards. And on some definitions, it would, if that's possible, then on some definitions, that entails that strong AI is possible and on others, it doesn't. Yeah. So there, we probably should agree on some definition for the purpose of this interview. Right. So when I talk about strong AI, I'm going to be talking about the view that a computer composed of the same sorts of inorganic components as computers we have today could be, or at least could host consciousness. So it could either mm. be conscious or it could host consciousness. 
I think okay. that's an important disjunction. Uh, but yeah, it either could itself be conscious or host consciousness is what. Yeah. And by consciousness, I mean phenomenal consciousness. So there would be something that it's like to be it. Yes. Okay. Okay. I, I really do like that disjunct. So um, just a, a little rabbit trail here. So uh, as a substance dualist, do you think that the body hosts your your body hosts your consciousness or that your maybe your brain I'll let you distinguish but let's go with brain and you can say body if you want does your brain host consciousness or is your brain conscious what do you what do you think yeah so i think that strictly speaking material things cannot be conscious okay and so my brain my body as material objects are not conscious okay but obviously there's some sort of intimate relationship between my brain and my mind or I'll say my brain and my soul. Mm. I take myself to be my soul and I take myself to be uh, embodied. That's awesome. I love that. I'm, I'm with you. I might have a hard time pushing back because that's, that's fantastic. Um, okay. So let's, let's keep going with, with strong AI then. Um, you've been, uh, you've been, it's not, I don't even want to say like, you've been putting forth some ideas on Facebook, I guess. Um, that, uh, you know, substance dualism might actually make uh, the substance independence thesis, uh, which functionalism depends on, uh, it, it makes it more plausible. Uh, substance dualism makes it more plausible. So I should say uh, the substance independence thesis is like, my, my listeners would probably know this because I talk a lot about philosophy of mind, but it's something put forward um, by people like Hillary Putnam against uh, identity theories of the mind, where the mind just is the is identical to the brain in some way. And uh, like multiple realizability, uh, Dr. Boyce, would you say multiple realizability arguments are the same as substance independence? That's like you use that argument for substance independence, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so, so there's the thesis of substrate independence says, you know, roughly that, you know, whatever physical processes required, whatever the processes required for thought are, are they can in principle be implemented in any system where there's the right sort of causal or functional arrangements between the parts. Mm -hmm. And one of the motivations for that is that it does seem like consciousness is multi-realizable. So we have these organic brains, uh, but maybe there are Martians. Uh, they're not, there aren't Martians, but maybe, I don't know, Alpha Centaurians yeah, who yeah. have a different kind of makeup than we do, but it still seems like they could be in pain, for example. Yeah. Um, more controversially, but more importantly for this discussion, some people think that uh, perhaps a computer that's made out of silicon or something, that it could be conscious, yeah. even though it doesn't have the same sort of makeup as we do. So the, the, the important claim here is that consciousness could be realized by a variety of different kinds of substrates. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that it seems so plausible unless you like have studied philosophy of mind and you're like an identity theorist. It seems so plausible. You just think like, well, yeah, my dog is in pain and I'm in pain. And those they're, we're both experiencing pain, you know, maybe not in the exact same way because we have different brains and stuff like that. But we both have pain. Otherwise, we'd have to say like pain H and pain D for dog and human or something like that. Um, yeah, I, it just seems so plausible to me. So but um, the standard, uh, the common understanding I don't want to say folk understanding, but like folk understanding amongst philosophers who study this, I guess, is that like if substance dualism is true, then functionalism is false and you need functionalism in order for uh, a robot or a computer to be conscious and, and some sort of machine functionalism or something where 
to be conscious is just to have uh, an input and the right internal states and then the right output. Um, and you're mm-hmm. like a realized Turing machine or something. So yeah, let's like, how does, how does substance dualism make, uh, make multiple realizability or substance uh, substrate independence more plausible? Yeah. So I have two considerations in favor of that claim. Maybe we can go through them. Yeah. I don't know. One at a time. They're both a little bit involved. Um, maybe this first one is uh, a little bit easier to get a hold of. So the first reason I have is it's just an intuition uh, that I think I have, but many other people have. I suspect a lot of your listeners will have if they consider the cases where we have these thought experiments. And there are lots of these sorts of ex- thought experiments found in the literature where the patterns that are in our brain are replicated in other sorts of systems. So consider, for example, a case where you have some patterns or you have the same patterns as the neurons firing in our brain, but it's implemented, let's say, in a large stadium full of people doing the wave. Or maybe you have a system of water pipes being opened and closed in in a way that mirrors how our neurons fire, or a system of lights being turned on and off. Mm -hmm. Now, if materialism about the mind is true, then, and functionalism on top of that is true, then what it is to be conscious just is for a system or what it is for a system to be conscious just is for it to instantiate these sorts of patterns or causal relationships or functional roles. Yeah. But I think when we reflect on those cases, we, we have a strong feeling that something is missing. Yeah. <laughs> That's not enough for there to be consciousness. It's possible that you could have systems like that and fail to have consciousness. I think that's a that's an extremely powerful intuition that many of us have. Now, uh, people have do and have appeal to that sort of intuition to argue against physicalism about the mind. Yeah. But that might be a little bit quick um, because it might be, for example, that all the intuition is really revealing to us is that mere patterns or causal mere kinds of causal relational patterns are not enough. Uh, to ground consciousness. You need something else. Maybe, though, that's something physical. Maybe it has something to do with the subtle interplay of the electromagnetic fields that arise from the currents in our brain or something like that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? But it's plausible that it's something that depends on the the substrate of our brain, if, in fact, consciousness is seated in the physical. Right. Um, But a substance dualist... Uh, they can maintain that, um, yeah, sure, mere replication of patterns itself is it's not sufficient for consciousness. It's not metaphysically sufficient. Right. But they could also think that it's plausible enough that as a contingent matter of fact, if you instantiate the right kinds of causal patterns or functional relationships, then the laws of nature will result in a soul being paired with whatever system is implementing those patterns or relationships yeah i i i like science fiction too and this always it just seems so interesting like you would accidentally accidentally be taken out the trash or something and you spill something and all you accidentally realize some conscious state and like you know the peas that fell scream out real quick or something i don't they wouldn't scream because you'd have to have vocal cords but you know like some kind of just like if it's uh emergent or something 
and you realize the right uh, underlying structure on accident and it just kind of something pops up into existence then and then leaves. I always think that's so fascinating. Like what if reality does have these under, under, what if I'm a theist, what if God made reality such that there would be like metaphysical laws or emergent laws or something like that? So you're, you're saying that it's, uh, yeah, it's at least plausible that that's the case. Yeah, and I think it's more plausible given substance dualism that it's the case that uh, consciousness would, would get paired with these mere realizations of patterns, in part because the substance dualist doesn't have to say that it's uh, metaphysically necessary that those patterns result in consciousness. I think we have a pretty strong oh, yeah. intuition that it's not. The substance dualist can say it's just a contingent matter of fact. Uh, it reflects how the psychophysical laws are, or perhaps yeah. it reflects something about God's policies for when and where to create souls. Yeah. But nevertheless, uh, when you have the right sorts of patterns, a soul gets associated with that physical system. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really fascinating. So would it, in the, in the like thought experiment there, I guess, if we, if we can make one, but um, if, if the patterns are realized and a soul becomes associated with it, do you have any idea, like, would that be a, a new soul? Would that be like a, what, what do you, what do you make of that? Is it, is it, uh, is it an emergent thing? Cause it doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like Hasker's emergent, emergentism, but maybe. Right. So it's not plausible to me that mere patterns, like, I don't know, turning on off and on water pipes and such would cause something like a soul to emerge. Okay. That that's okay. that also seems implausible to me. So yeah. the suggestion here would be uh, it's it's a kind of dualism where there's just psychophysical laws that entail that souls get paired with certain kinds of physical systems. 